0: Do you know what NIFA is? It's a $2 billion part of USDA and it's engaged in research looking to the future of agriculture. And we got a chance to chat with the organization's director. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Voucher, host and editorial director for Farm Progress. NIFA is the National Institute of Food and Agriculture and is involved in funding and facilitating research across a wide range of areas in the industry. During Sunbelt Ag Expo this week in Moultrie, Georgia, we got the chance for a candid talk with Carrie Castile, named director of NIFA in early January. It's a wide ranging conversation offering insight into the work of this organization and how it's changing. As Castile talks, she does reference different kinds of institutions the 1862s and the 1890s. Both are land-grant systems. The 1862s were created under the original Morrill Act of 1862, and the 1890s were established with the second Morrill Act of 1890 and include institutions that are historically black universities. We just wanted to clear that up as part of our conversation. Now let's learn more about NIFA and its role in agriculture. So Carrie Castile with NIFA, um, welcome to Around Farm Progress.
1: Thank you so very much. Glad to be here.
0: We're talking about research. It's an area that I'm always interested in because research eventually ends up doing something that I might be able to use on my farm. I think that's what I think a lot of farmers are interested in. So why don't you characterize for me first, how does NIFA even look at research from your perspective as an extramural group in USDA?
1: Well, it's really kind of a whole of NIFA approach that we take. So we look at not only research, but extension as well as teaching. And so that whole of NIFA approach really helps us to Um, look at things like geographic innovation, we get a lot, a lot of stakeholder feedback. That's a priority for me to be able to hear from farmers, ranchers, um, as well as our land grant universities, our stakeholder groups um, for us to be able to determine what's most important, how it's going to get on the ground and ultimately how it's going to benefit them.
0: How do you, I mean, that makes perfect sense. But when I look at the different programs, some of the interesting grants coming up in the last few months since you've come onto this role. They're being more diverse in that role. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of research in a lot of different areas over the last since NIFA was created and transitioned from the, the previous organization. But how how do you look at choosing programs to put out for grants and, and now? And is that changing in the last few months?
1: Well, sure. I mean, so for, for us, so we have our traditional programs like AFRI. So our mm-hmm. AFRI is our um, agricultural Food Research Initiative historically um, competitive program, and it's one of these fundamental foundational types of programs. Six buckets of funds. Um, The last one that we just funded was our sustainable ag systems, almost $150 million, and we funded priorities um, in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, food security, uh, and other um, types of opportunities as well, like sustainable agriculture. Um, So those are our traditional programs, but we're getting really, really creative with some of our um, programs, including looking at things from a diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility lens, as well as looking at opportunities to be able to involve forage and positive youth development, be able to build that pipeline, get folks um, to be interested in science and excited about the opportunities that NIFA has, as well as, as all research agencies
0: well, and that's a big opportunity too when you think about agriculture. And I mean, I've had corporations talk about their need for people, sure. but how do you make that connection? So NIFA may be making that connection between 4-H, FFA into an agricultural um, related career.
1: Sure. Yeah, sure. So, and, <clears throat> and for me, there's these opportunities. I mean, I've had an opportunity through my career to be able to work with agribusinesses and really find out what the labor and workforce needs are. We have an agriculture and workforce development and training opportunity within AFRI to really look at working with the community colleges, um, working with our land grants, and then from the master's and postdoc levels as well. So there's, there's really, um, within our NIFA programs, there's opportunities to really look at that pipeline of scientists, um, as well as looking at finance or ag educators. Um, it kind of goes across the board, which is the cool thing about NIFA.
0: What is the total budget for NIFA in the, in the current fiscal year?
1: So it's close to about $2 billion. And, uh, you know, it's a variety of different um, funding lines and different priorities. Um, but, of course, um, you know, the three priorities for us, are competitive programs, our capacity programs, and support for minority-serving institutions.
0: Okay. One of the things I think people, it's not just a grant program. It's not just money. Being, there's a lot of competitiveness. There's also a lot of cooperative granting programs, like you're your seed money and then other people are playing a part of the role, right?
1: Sure, as well as regional programs. So I think the beauty of NIFA and what we do is, is really, and at least my priority is, is geographic innovation. Making sure that there's an opportunity to be able to look at where you are geographically. What are the needs? What are the opportunities to be able to address those needs? And what does it mm-hmm. look like on the ground for you and for the producers and the land grants that help to support them?
0: So one of the areas, I mean, you talked about the diversity and inclusion areas. Um, what can we do there? What, How are we leveraging that in that kind of research area? And what opportunities do you see there?
1: Sure, sure. So support for our minority-serving institutions, not only through our competitive programs, but we're looking at equipment grants, mm-hmm. but also scholarships, not only for the 1890s institutions, but our 1994s and working with the tribes, as well as our Hispanic-serving institutions. There's tremendous opportunities for us to be able to look at how do we build scholarship programs, not only to support the current workforce, but the future workforce. And I'm talking about scientists, and we've been extremely successful, at communications as well. We've been able to bring in interns, as well as um, really looking at how we, um, how we conduct our programs through diversity of our panels, as well as really looking at the diversity of, of research itself. And then the workforce um, as well. So we're very proud. We've, we've leaned in. Um, we've, we're also looking at leadership and making sure that our leadership and our workforce looks like the communities that we serve.
0: Not always easy because part of that is just finding those folks that have the skills, right? I mean, how do you lean in and, and bring those people into the, into the party?
1: Well, we make a conscious effort. So we just had a, um, an employment webinar for our Hispanic-serving institutions. Um, And that's on the workforce development side. But, you know, there's other opportunities for us to really support, um, say, our 1890s institutions through our Centers of Excellence. Um, And we have our 1890 Scholars Program as well. Um, But it's also, I think, really important for us to be able to look at everything, especially research, through a lens of equity.
0: Let's talk about a couple of things that are, are brewing right now. I mean, one is the Farm of the Future. Uh, that grant program just recently closed. So you're just going to be starting, your team's going to start looking at those those um, applications. But what does that really mean? It's kind of a test bed, but it's not just one place, right? We're talking of maybe it could be a lot of different things.
1: For now, so the Farm of the Future program, mm-hmm. as it was written, uh, is basically for for one opportunity. However, I'm so excited about really looking at what the applications are going to be. We had a webinar and we had so much interest and it goes back to that geographic innovation piece. Um, you know, right now it's for, for one form of the future, but who knows what that might look like in the future?
0: Well, we don't know, but it'd be interesting to have a place where all that data is coming in and then there's a, a third party review of what that data might mean to a farmer. Cause one of the challenges I'm finding is farmers are collecting a lot of data, but they're having trouble turning it into knowledge or having a willingness to share it outside the farm so they can get anonymized data to bring it all together. It's not easy to do. What do you see as your significant challenges in your role?
1: You know, so being in the, in the role for about 10 months, um, my, real, my ultimate goal is, is, you know, coming in, um, it's really about making sure that we get resources to the land-grant institutions now we're at a point where we're really developing programmatic leadership right so national programmatic leadership so if it's in the areas of artificial intelligence or if it's in the areas of workforce development or positive youth development or climate smart agriculture and forestry we're at a point now where we are really um, developing a leadership approach and strategy to be able to support our land grants and that it's a challenge, but it's such a tremendous opportunity. And we're already seeing that. Um, we, we provided support in artificial intelligence institutes and in partnering with National Science Foundation. Mm. These are great types of opportunities. Robotics. Um, so these are these types of things. And really looking at a modern approach to agriculture. And you talk about data. I mean, ultimately, data can be used to make better decisions. Not only on the production level but also for us. I mean so the more data that I have in terms of what the research priorities are, the better I can focus our programs to make sure that we having have an impact.
0: So there is a program that came out recently it's been noted in one of our magazines that you're funding a program on cultured meat. How does that work? I mean there are pro- okay, and there are other programs that that you fund that might have a controversial side to them whether it's some kind of and we can talk about climate smart agriculture in a minute cuz that can be a challenge. But but how does that drive forward and, and you know there are people in the meat industry that are not happy about this. So how do you look at those and why does us fund that kind of thing?
1: So historically we've been funding livestock um both from a health and production perspective, farm to fork. I mean, that is something that we have have traditionally funded and we're going to continue to to provide resources. Um, When you look at um, workforce within NIFA, I mean, we've brought in a lot of animal scientists. Um, Within our institutes, we want to make sure that we're providing support on the animal health side. So we've provided a lot, a lot of support, and we're going to continue to do that. On the alternative-based proteins, um, there was an opportunity for us to look at sustainable ag systems, and we had... Um, you know, from my perspective, we had a panel of experts, scientific experts, okay. that really looked at the applications. Um, it ranked and scored um, as, as one of the top priorities. And, you know, the panel went ahead and made the decision to, to elevate it as, as one to be funded.
0: You're not going to go against the panel. You have a panel of experts that you drive and work with them. So I understand that. It just gets interesting because it's, the agriculture is diverse plant-derived meat, that makes good business for soybeans and wheat and other products. So it's kind of an interesting yay-boo, depending on what you raise on your farm, which is always kind of interesting. I'm not putting you on the spot. It's just an interesting process. So for our farmers to understand, there is a panel of experts that bring these forward, and they're they the ones that drive these research programs forward.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's independent. Um, we don't determine what um, applications come in. and And I think, again, looking at our panel... Uh, not only from a perspective of um, equity, um, but also looking at different types of approaches. Um, I think it's fascinating um, to see that we had—God, I can't remember how many um, applications that we had. But we, of those sustainable ag systems, um, AFRI projects, mm-hmm. a third of them supported the minority-serving institutions. Cool. And um, so so it's, it's really, I think NIFA has come a very, very long way. But at the end of the day, it's all about the science.
0: Yeah, we have to stick with the science. Let's talk about climate smart agriculture, because this is an area, uh, we conducted something here at Sunbelt uh, yesterday with the Farmers of the Year, and one of the things that came up was a discussion of climate smart agriculture and how agriculture gets a Get, what's the old What's the old saying? We want a seat at the table, not a place on the menu. So, and this is an opportunity for agriculture to do that. So, how does NIFA drive that? What research are you looking at, and and what should farmers know about that kind of that area?
1: So, I think the main priority is to make sure that whatever we do is connected to the producers at the producer level. When you start looking at climate smart agriculture and forestry, it's really at the producer level. I think where NIFA can really play a role is working with the extension service as well as the experiment stations to be able to look at these practices, to be able to evaluate them and quantify them and see what makes sense to the producers. It's at that local level. Um, what happens in Iowa is gonna look a little different than it looks in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know climate change looks different. Um, so the way that it looks in California is different than the way that it looks in Georgia. Um, so, so I think the opportunity there to be able to look at extension, look at the experiment stations and really make sure that the practices that are developed or the practices that are being utilized make sense to the producers. And I think NIFA can really play a role in that with our partnership with the land grants.
0: So it's a bottom-up process. I mean, the Absolutely. the extension, the research stations are going to drive up the, the ideas for research in this area.
1: You know, so, so not only that, the experiment stations, but who's going to be out there and working directly with the producers to be able to talk about and promote the technologies? I mean, I grew up in extension. Right. Mm -hmm. And we had the county agents. And if you had a question about your tomatoes, your potatoes, your taxes or whatever else it was, you went to the county agent and having that fundamental um, expert within the local area is so absolutely critical. And I think they can really play a strong role when it comes to climate smart agriculture and forestry.
0: I think it's interesting. I'm not sure many farmers get that NIFA is actually pretty local in a lot of the work that you're doing. Do you think that that's a message that you want? You have to keep reiterating?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, because our office, you know, I mean, yeah. you look at the United States Department of Agriculture. It's a big right? building. It's a big building. <laughs> uh, but but really, I mean, so in being able to come to Sunbelt and really be able to work with directly with the producers, I could see within, I think, probably – um, the first hour, we had 10 universities right here. And it just goes to show you, and we provided su- support to each one of them mm-hmm. that it is so local. And that's the beauty of, of, you know, again, coming from Extension, being here, being the NIFA director, it's, it's phenomenal.
0: So do they think you have a wallet and a checkbook? Or how does that work when you show up yeah. at, when you show up at one of the universities?
1: I think they think that I have a wallet and a checkbook. <laughs> and, you know, just write that blank check and, you know, you go ahead and you sign off. But it is. I mean, to be able to to show not only um the uniqueness, but also the camaraderie and collaboration between all of these Sun Belt institutions, um, but also the camaraderie between the eighteen sixty-twos and the eighteen nineties. Yeah. A lot of great work. Lots of complementary work.
0: Yeah, and that's that hasn't happened as much. That's happening more in the last five or six years. I think those schools are Re- Interrelating inter- more is that does NIFA drive some of that?
1: Sure, sure. So we encourage that. Um, I mean, if you start to look at some of the projects, especially mm-hmm. in AFRI, you're you're seeing partnerships between the 1890s, the 1862s, sometimes the Hispanic serving institutions, mm-hmm. all in one project, all to be able to reach sometimes an underserved population, mm-hmm. and it's really it's kind of a beautiful symbiotic thing.
0: One area that's kind of interesting to me is the food security area. And, and that's, I know, one of your priorities at, at NIFA as well. How do you look at that? Is that, again, driving the same conversation with the same groups, the, you know, the 1890s, the 1862s? How does that work?
1: Absolutely, as well as other stakeholders. So we have, for example, our GusNet program, which is an opportunity to really support local foods and provide you know, local foods to the people that need them. Um, and that was part of COVID relief, right? To make sure that people that need and people that have these opportunities to be able to support their local farmers markets, you have resources to be able to do so. Food insecurity, I think what you're going to see and what I'm very, very excited about is is really looking at the entire supply chain, starting with beginning farmers and ranchers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a beginning farmers and ranchers development program. We have ag vets program and agrAbility it really provides an opportunity at the beginning level to be able to support beginning farmers, be able to do it right. You can imagine that you could take in, you could take climate smart agriculture and forestry, integrate that with beginning farmers and ranchers development program, start looking at geographic innovation and you start looking at things like our small business innovation research. So you can start to look at those types of opportunities. And and again, it's that grassroots type of innovation that we're going to be able to see. And I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I can't wait to see what these different types of grassroots programs, what the result can be.
0: So you're talking about making connections. I mean, Absolutely. that's, that's part of the challenge and the opportunity. That's your job to make the connections. You've got the, the team of people that executes it, but isn't your job up here at the top of NIFA to kind of say, wait, what's an old Walt Disney thing? Walt would walk around and say, well, what if you did this? Or what if you did that? He can say, he kind of thought of himself as a bee, pollinating different ideas across the group. Kind of how, is that how you see your role?
1: Sure, sure. So not only that, I mean, not just within the organization itself, but also mission to mission. I mean, I can walk down the hall and be able to work within RCS, Mm -hmm. FSA, um, rural development. There's um, APHIS. Uh, You start looking at the work that APHIS is doing in trying to identify the next pandemic. Yeah, We got animal scientists, a lot of them are zoonotic, you know, so, so the zoonotic diseases, we could partner with them and partner directly with the land-grant universities. But the mission to mission focus is gonna be absolutely critical. Um, and so coming from rural development as well as FPAC, again, I can walk down the hall um, and you start looking at things like rural broadband. So if you're talking about technology mm-hmm. and you're talking about sensors and you're talking about data, you got to have broadband. Right.
0: You do, but that's on the rural development side. So, but you can have that conversation with them and say, well, maybe there's a execution grant on the NIFA side to how how would we leverage different kinds of broadband in the field before they're deployed by the Verizons of the world. Which Absolutely, interesting. And then we need the broadband for everything from telemedicine to so let's talk about some wacky idea. You mentioned a comment of the idea of telemedicine for the veterinarian, which I think is very interesting It's not something you're that doing hasn't right been right. Yet. Right. That's right but it's not something you're doing now, but w- but one of the neat things about your role is you can have these kinds of conversations i mean we're not saying it's happening, but the idea that we're we can't find large animal vets there's a shortage of them there's a lot of small animal vets apparently people like to treat iguanas and cats more than they want to treat cows and pigs. But the other side of it is pound we cat. Yeah.
1: <laughs> makes a lot of money. Yes.
0: Yeah. But leveraging the technology is it's just we're not going to say that's an idea that NIF is going to do. But that brings up the idea of how you can walk around and say, well, have you ever thought about that?
1: Well, it's great. Again, coming from rural development right. and, you know, I crossed every area of the state and I could see the needs. The needs for rural veter- veterinarians are real. I mean, they, they really are. So if you took telemedicine, for example, I mean, it's worked on the human side. Yeah,
0: very well.
1: And it, I think it also provides another income stream, right, for rural veterinarians. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you have debt, and you're looking for additional sources of revenue to be able to at least break even, right? And so the other thing is, is, is really looking at economic prosperity within the rural communities. Mm-hmm. I think when you start to look at what the pandemic did, and you start to see people moving out of urban centers and going to rural communities, there are services that are needed, including broadband, healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so veterinarians, schools, community centers, mm-hmm. fire stations, it all is part of the overall ag economy because when you look at the rural communities, ag primarily is the base, right? The economic base. So it, it connects all these pieces. Um, I'm glad I had the opportunity to be in rural development. And I'm glad I had the opportunity to work with some of the best farm service agency executive directors and rural development directors. And we're, gonna, we're seeing that we have more of them coming on board. And I can't wait to work, work with them. Because, again, it's that local level. That's, that's, that's how I was trained mm-hmm. is, is really at the local grassroots
0: and your job is to, NIFA, is to bring these research to this, not the not putting out broadband. That's rural development's issue, to invest in broadband. But the other side of it is there may be research that could be funded at some time through grants and shared programs to how, how we could leverage broadband in new ways.
1: Sure, absolutely. And so, you know, things like our Veterinary Medical Loan Repayment Program, VMLRP, mm-hmm. um, really looking at identifying areas within states um, that have needs for rural veterinarians and providing support, especially when it comes to college repayment. I mean, it's it's expensive, um, but it's it's much needed. So you know, there's a veterinary services program as well. But at the end of the day, it's connecting back to the producers. Um, that's what Extension taught me. It's, it's about <laughs> the producers.
0: It's refreshing. It'll be. I think a lot of people listening to this will find that refreshing as well. That uh, uh, we think of NIFA as being this. Research facility, you know, sometimes what a research facility looks like is something from a science fiction show. They're all over here and they're doing stuff over here, but nobody sees it. But in fact, you're engaged in every land grant university and other universities in unique and interesting ways. You know, you brought up something interesting earlier. You have the ability or people working with NIF have the ability to pivot. There, if something changes, you brought up Katrina. You were working uh, in Extension in, in tw- yep, 2005. You and how did that all work? And, and what, how, how does that kind of thing work? We, you know, we're going to have this again. We just had it. Um, when, when, you know, major hurricane again through Louisiana. How, how, do, how do rural groups handle that? And how does NIFA play a role there?
1: Well, I mean, the first thing, uh, you look at Eden, what, right? The Extension Disaster Education yeah. Network. Really being able to deploy resources, both before Mm -hmm. and after the storm has passed. With climate change, we're gonna continue to see more weather-related events. We gotta be prepared, not only from a community perspective, but also from an agricultural perspective. I know we saw from Katrina, uh, as well as Gustav Eich, and you can name the the other storms. You had county agents there, sometimes their houses were flooded, right? But they were out there supporting the communities. Right after IDA occurred, um, I brought our staff together and I said, okay, what what can we do as a research institution, right? Absolutely. Right? right? (laughs) Yeah. And we started looking at some of these states that were impacted and making sure that the deadlines that we have on our RFAs are not going to negatively impact them. Mm -hmm. But also thinking proactively, what can we do to be able to better partner with EDEN? For example, and make sure that resources are available that eventually go out to the producers, the communities. Um, So, you know, for me, um, those types of opportunities, we're going to continue to do so. I've asked the staff to come up. Let's let's think outside of the box. What does that need to look like? Um, Again, to be able to support the communities. Climate change is here. It's real.
0: We've gone all over the place. have I gone some, where would you like to go for a moment? I'm going to turn it over to you What do you want to talk about?
1: You know I mean you start looking at where we are with NIFA and my passion to be able to work directly with the producers. I want to make sure that you know we talk about research big NIFA right It's not as big and out of reach, I think as as people may think it is. Mm-hmm. I'm the first college graduate of my family, mm-hmm. right I want to make sure that, research is something that our farmers, our communities can use every day. And for me to be able to directly relate, right? And so what it is, is, is it's really finding real world solutions to real world problems, research, education, teaching, extension, all of these. And it, it, it's really close to me. And, and again, if there's a priority for me I want to make sure that we're connecting what we do at NIFA Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to where it is on the ground.
0: Carrie, it's been great talking to you. Good luck in your role. We'll probably check in in a year or two when you've got a little more experience and action under the belt and see what's going on. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so very much. I enjoyed it.
0: It's nice to get some quality time for a conversation with a top leader at USDA. As you heard, Castile is passionate about the research work funded by NIFA and focused on how that work connects, in the end, to farmers, which is why she was spending some quality time at a farm show. The organization's work bears watching and we will check in with Castile again in the future. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs and the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vod, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.